0: You probably didn't see the uh, teaser for the stream today. It's actually a lady badger. It's hard to tell, but it's a lady badger. <laughs> it's
1: a lady badger. It looks like a medieval lady badger. Yeah, I think so, but she's she's still a big self-hosted fan. Or is she Renaissance? It's hard to tell. Maybe we should ask her. She could be LARPing. I don't, I don't know. That could be a thing. Where did that come from? I made it. I, just decided. <laughs> I was
0: looking for badger people, and that's what came up. So You made it NMS Paint, did you? <laughs> yeah, basically. Paint.net. Well, here we are. It's episode 75. There's a lot to get to today. Alex is about to jump on an airplane, and uh, our buddy Brent is inbound. We're sitting down in the middle of a th- thunderstorm
1: over at Alex's house. Real-life update. Brent is supposed to be... Departing Toronto, literally right now, as I'm talking to you, as we're recording, and his flight inbound from Calgary landed about ten minutes ago. So I don't think that's happening. I think I think Brent will be here tomorrow morning, and more, most likely. Okay, and when do you fly out? Tomorrow night.
0: Yeah, you have, you might be two ships passing each other in the night on the. On yeah, it's one. unfortunate.
1: Uh, it yeah. is unfortunate.
0: Well, we'll get into it. But I wanted to start today by discussing something that I don't know if we have it on record, but I know at least off record. You, you called this one, Alex. This week, Nebukasa announced the Works with Home Assistant program. They write, today we're introducing the Works with Home Assistant program to allow manufacturers to show their support and commitment to Home Assistant and its community. And like you would expect with a program like this, Alex, they got like little badges that says works locally with Home Assistant, works via the cloud with Home Assistant, works with Z-Wave, you know, the kind of the kind of works with.
1: It's an interesting program. I don't want to uh, foreshadow anything about my other predictions this year, but... Uh... <laughs> Nailed it! I called that one. Yeah, he did. It's nice. It's nice to finally get a W, bro. Yeah, it is nice to see this. In fact,
0: it's kind of perfect because I just recently had a good reminder of how how crappy the experience is right now. And I have to say, I'm a bit disappointed that they didn't announce a hardware partner at launch, but they did say uh, they're going to have their first hardware partner announced soon. But, you know, just recently I was kind of doing like a virtual rebuild of my home assistant setup. Like let's say in theory, my home assistant yellow or whatever it's called now shows up and I rebuild my home setup and I, I thought maybe that'd be a good time to just move over to ZigBee. I know I could just stick with Z-Wave, but it, it seems like ZigBee and, and Matter will eventually be the future. So I started researching one-to-one replacements for my Z-Wave devices, like my outdoor switches, sprinkler controllers, uh, motion sensors, power smart plugs that also have real-time power data monitoring. I tried to find solid ZigBee alternatives to those and getting any kind of signal out of the noise if one device over another is compatible with home assistant is a really bad experience and at best you're kind of just taking a stab like you really can't order anything with absolute confidence that it'll work in home assistant and i do i will say over the last couple of years it's gotten better like more and more stuff i just buy works with home assistant locally but it's still almost impossible and i I would i would argue in navigatable for a brand new user to this space, presently, so if this takes off, this would make it massively easier because I would just filter by this on Amazon or wherever I'm shopping.
1: It is a crapshoot, absolutely, and you know the the only way to know for sure if something's going to work is to buy it and try it, and even then, that's not a guarantee it's going to continue working for the longest time. I refer you to my. Comments about the Govi LED strips I bought in the last episode. You know, even though that was relying on a third party API provided by Govi, it worked one day via a custom integration. And then Govi decided to rate limit the API. So even then, it's not a perfect guarantee. So I'm delighted to see this program come into existence. I think it's uh, a signal that the project has ambition in a certain direction. You know, if you think about all the other made-for programs, I think made-for-iPhone was probably one of, if not the first kind of certification sort of like this in, in our industry. It guarantees companies some kind of interface to develop against. So you look at the iPhone as the perfect example, right? They had that 30-pin dot connector for a decade. Now we've had the Lightning connector for, I think, a decade, and we're probably due USB-C on the iPhone any day now, Uh we can hope anyway. And so when I look at this announcement, I think, wow, geez, okay, cool. So if I'm you know, making the cheapest possible thing I can and I don't want to pay any license fees or minimal license fees to get a little cute label on the box to put it on the shelf in Home Depot or wherever it is uh, around the world... That little blue Home Assistant logo looks pretty good, right? I mean, if you can put the Alexa one on there and the Google one on there, why not slap Home Assistant on there? Yeah, and here's a couple of things about the program that I like.
0: Uh, The program requires manufacturers to maintain the integration of their products in Home Assistant. They have to provide product samples and give engineering contacts for the Home Assistant team to escalate to. Huge. Manufacturers will be able to use the Works with Home Assistant badge in return on their products and documentation and the terms of the Works with Home Assistant program are enforced in agreement signed by both Nebukasa and the manufacturer. So it's not just like they're handing these labels out. And so I think when I see one of these labels as a consumer, I'm going to be able to trust that it actually does work. And I'm not joking. Like, I would just filter on this and only buy these products. It really lives and dies in the manufacturer adoption.
1: But what happens in a situation like we had and i'm not saying it will happen soon but like just happened with the z-wave stuff your migration that you've uh, been moaning about on air for ages and ages <laughs> what happens in 10 years time when home assistant needs to deprecate a certain interface right and i i don't know what it is i'm not even going to speculate let's say the the replacement for matter has come along and it it deprecates support for all previous matter devices for whatever reason I, I'm just making this up, but it had that Made for Home Assistant logo on the box. What are the terms of this relationship? Is it a made for a specific year of Home Assistant releases? Is it made for 10 years? Like, What's the contract here? I'd, I would like to know, and if, if the Home Assistant team are listening, please tweet at me or let me know, something like that, because it's important for us to know these details as, as nerds. I'm excited to hear who their first partner is and I would love to hear more details. I think you're
0: asking some good questions there and maybe time will tell. When you said, when you called this, I, th- I want to say it was like back in December when you said something like this should come this year, it, it immediately clicked like, yes, this is exactly what they need. And this makes the experience so much better. And then you combine a program like this with something like the home assistant yellow or, or, you know, a future iteration when the supply chain isn't all screwed up, a, a, out of the box, ready to go. You drop it on your LAN and then you just go buy the works with Home Assistant labeled devices,
1: and everything's just out of the box, good to go. From Home Assistant, from Nebukasa, you know, it's a huge potential revenue stream that I don't know if they're interested in. I think they should be if they want to help keep the business growing and you know make it a better overall product. I think we've seen over the years in this technological space that the only real way to have a cohesive user experience and i'm talking like apple level of integration here is not convergence and we saw that with the ubuntu phone years ago and you know everything they did with the uh, unity desktop uh, back in that era the only way to have a cohesive user experience is to control everything unfortunately it's it's true i think And that means from all the way up from the Home Assistant yellow, all the way up to the light bulb I screw into my light fixture uh, and everything in between. If they can offer a cohesive suite of hardware and software and have it all guaranteed to work together, no matter what, you know, air quotes, whatever that means, then Home Assistant starts to become a viable recommend for people like me to slightly less technical members of my family like yeah yeah because right now you know it's it's the bastion of people that like to tinker as much as home assistant has improved extra ui elements and wizards and blah 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 i mean i rarely drop to the yaml these days like i used to but it's not perfect and if something goes wrong within 10 minutes It's still in the domain where you need to set it up for your
0: non technical friends and family. You could bring them a box and give it to them and show them the web UI, but you've already set up the dashboard. You've already integrated all the devices. You've already done all the network provisioning. You've managed all of that. And this helps transition it into a different phase. And just my last thoughts on this, and I hope this is a benefit that we continue to see just as Home Assistant as a community grows, but it means we have someone out there advocating for local API and
1: local controls. But to that point, and this is raised in the Discord as we record, it's a bit of a slippery slope. And I am worried that works with Home Assistant, if you give it enough time, becomes, doesn't work with other open standard. Maybe. I guess it depends on how the standard works because everything about Home Assistant would probably be open source in this regard, right? I mean, we'll see. I'm not saying they're going to pull an MB, but who knows, you know? And the other thing is, what about the testing that's done? Are they, as an open source project, going to publish all the testing of their hardware vendors? I can't imagine many hardware vendors wanting to sign up to that. But as an open source project, do they not have a duty to do that? I don't know. I'm just asking the question. Questions that we will probably get answers to over time,
0: but may not like them all we got a message into the show via the jupiter broadcasting telegram group and it was just a simple question hey do you guys use a self-hosted to-do app and it's funny because this is exactly something i've been looking to host in my rv right now something i could really focus just on road trips and stuff like that and i came across i'm going to attempt to say it's the kunja v-i-k-u-n-j-a it's a self hostable, really good looking to do app. And it has a little bit of everything that I like from inboxes for different tasks. It has namespace and user sharing. So you can collect uh, different uh, projects together and then share them with somebody like, you know, a spouse or a family member or a friend. It has team support. And of course, it also offers a hosted version, which you could just pay for if you'd like. They include a how to use it in Docker guide, so that's probably the route I would take if I were to deploy this. I haven't yet, but I'd love to get any feedback from anyone out there in the audience that's either used this or another self-hosted to-do app. This, to me, seems like the one to beat. You can find it at v-i-k-u-n-j-a dot cloud. And, yep, it's got Kanban boards, Alex. I know how you like your Kanban. Me?
1: Oh, it just gives (laughs) me uh, the heebie-jeebies of, like, uh, Trello and Jira.
0: Yep. 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 Did you ever really stop and think about self-hosting your to do stuff? I got to be honest with you. I think I just fell into using apps on my phone, which are connected to
1: proprietary services. I thought about it quite a lot, actually, when I was deep into my sort of Emacs kick, which lasted about three or four months. And I was doing all the org Rome stuff, which came out of Rome research, line of thinking, the uh, what's it called? Second brain linking your thinking type stuff. I was sort of going down this whole productivity rabbit hole and realized I was spending way longer trying to be productive than actually being productive. (laughs) Um, So I looked at a few things built into Emacs, org mode primarily being the one I looked at, but mobile experience, the mobile experience matters a lot because that's where, you know, 90% of my random thoughts occur to me is, oh, I need to remember to change the filters on the AC unit or... I don't know, remember to pick up this from the shop on the way home or something like that. And I ended up falling into the camp of just using Todoist, which is not a self-hosted app, unfortunately. But for me, it's worked very, very well. Uh, It's got some integrations with Gmail, which I use all the time at work. So there's a bunch of stuff I have to do in my day job where I need to remember certain case numbers and add comments and all that kind of stuff. And I can just click a button in Gmail and it adds it straight into Todoist. And I can, you know, keyboard shortcuts and natural text input and all that kind of stuff. That's not really what you wanted to hear, but I really like Todoist. I understand Todoist and
0: its many integrations and its API are really, really handy. And I think that's the hosted service to beat. Vikinja or however you say it, what I was really impressed by is they maintain a really clean user interface where you could just bang out tasks super quick. But they also let you really dig in and set all kinds of different bits of detail. You can add relation. You can add attachments. You can do progress tasks. You can just do percentage updates. You can have repeating intervals, priorities, labels. You can subscribe to certain tasks, even if you're not the user, if you just want to get updates on it. I mean, it's got it's got like all the power features I love. Uh, I think it's going to come down to what it's like to maintain and run it. So I, I'm tempted to give it a go. But I'll wait a week or two and get, like, input from the audience to hear what they're using for self-hosted to-do apps. Or maybe I should just not give it a go. Maybe you've got experience out there that says otherwise. And I should just give in, like Alex, and use Todoist. Linode.com slash SSH. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account, and you go there to support the show. Linode is the best way to run an application on Linux in the cloud. It's how we run everything we've built for the last two and a half years or so. It's really, really fast. They have great performance. They have 11 data centers around the world, NVMe, PCIe storage. They've got AMD EPIC processors and their CPU rigs, 40 gigabit connections coming into the hypervisors, and they are their own ISP. So that's like all the things you need to just have fantastic performance. And on top of that, they have the best support. That's where they really try to differentiate from the hyperscalers they're going to lock into their crazy platforms. They really try to differentiate with the customer service and the community support. I'll say that. They've been a big supporter of Jupiter Broadcasting, and they're making it possible for us to go down and get a tour of JPL and do a bunch of West Coast meetups. They invest in the community because they know it returns a net benefit to them because Linux is what they run on everything. Go build something. Go learn something. Try Linode out. Go get that $100 and try out their S3 compatible object storage. Maybe you want to play around with their VLAN configurator, their powerful DNS manager, or perhaps you just want to try something. Maybe you want to performance test your network. Maybe you want to deploy their new Kali Linux support and do a little penetration testing to make sure everything's buttoned up. You can do it 30 to 50% cheaper than you can at the hyperscalers, and you can support the show. So go try out the best in virtualized cloud computing. If it runs on Linux, it runs on Linode. Sign up today and support the show. Linode.com slash SSH. That's Linode.com slash SSH to get that one hundred dollars and support the show. Linode.com slash SSH.
1: We've got a live Brent update for you. His departure flight from Toronto is delayed by ten minutes. So I don't know I don't know if he's off his original plane yet or through customs or or anything, but it's seat-of-the-pants stuff, I think. It's going to be a
0: full-on run, running-down-the-airport kind of movie-style moment for Brent, I
1: think. Yeah, yeah, poor guy.
0: Hopefully things go smoother for you and the family.
1: Hopefully so, yes. Uh, it's just a direct flight for us tomorrow, Raleigh to London Heathrow. Hopefully the baggage handlers are on point tomorrow. I did buy a couple of extra air tags to throw into my suitcases.
0: boy, that's so fun. The last time I travelled, I did that, and we checked baggage, and then you just watch... And then as soon as it starts to get close and it detects it again, you know your bag's almost
1: there. And then, you know, you can tell when it comes down the chute. It was luxury checking. (laughs) I am actually, I hadn't thought about the baggage reclaim part. I'm actually genuinely excited for that now. Yeah, it's great. (laughs) You know, I was going through the uh,
0: inbox and a lot of people have caught that you're going to London, obviously, because we have the meetup coming up and all of that. And we clearly got people that want updates on your remote backup setup you have across the pond.
1: Well, it's, uh, it's all changed fairly soon. Anyway, I think largely speaking, the fundamental stuff is going to stay the same. But when I emigrated three or four years ago, I left my old server in England, uh, along with all the data that was on it. And I just left it there because I arrived in this country, you know, as a prospector with nothing but a suitcase and a rucksack, don't you know?
0: Oh, my God, Alex.
1: <laughs> it's true, though. It literally is true. And the container that had all of my actual stuff in it took like three or four months to come across the ocean. So, And now
0: you, here you are in an American house in the suburbs with big thunderstorms
1: full of crap. Somehow. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of toys. Yeah. You're doing it right. You know, the general idea was to use that server in England as my primary endpoint for when I needed to come out at a residential IP address for iPlayer. But also there was about 20 or 30 terabytes worth of hard drives in that system which I pulled together using uh, ZFS. I used to do uh, ZFS mirrors, but uh, I ran out of space and so I ended up turning it into like a Z2 array, I think. Uh, I can't remember the specifics. A Z2 array of like five or six different three or four terabyte hard drives. Maybe they're eights. But it doesn't really matter. The idea there is that over WireGuard, bear in mind this predates Tailscale by what, three or four years? I had to rely on OpenVPN originally to get an SSH to get into the, the box in England via OpenSense. I had a site-to-site VPN between the two so that all the traffic was encrypted and then encrypted within that tunnel as well over SSH and ZFS Send. I used Jim Salter's Syncoid and Sanoid to do all my snapshots on ZFS and then Syncoid is what's used to manage those snapshots and sync them to the remote endpoint. But last year, when I went back to England, I did a motherboard upgrade on that server and there's a, a blog post which I'll link to in the show notes about the motherboard I'm using. However, shortly after I left England, my father informed me that they were selling the childhood home and moving. And where they were moving to, which if you've listened to the show, you'll know, didn't really have the best of internet connections. Uh, It's up in the northeast uh, of England. And the internet there was, I think I'm generous in saying two megabytes down and 0.5 megabytes up.
0: Oh, it's miserable.
1: Yeah. So they have got Starlink and it's a lot better now for stuff like tablets and phones and iPlayer and whatever else they do for normal people.
0: Yeah, it's way better for that kind of stuff.
1: But in terms of running a server, it's not, you know, I'm I'm not throwing terabytes through that link anymore because the, you know, the, the the main data set's already over there. But if ever I needed to restore that data, you know, Starlink's probably just not the right way to go. Then Somehow the gods smiled on me. And my mother in law, who lives in rural Norfolk, she has had internet that has been awful for as long as I can possibly remember. Again, it was in that sort of four or five megabyte down, one or two megabyte up region, just DSL, ADSL. Uh, If it got a bit windy, the speed dropped, you know, because the lines (laughs) were suspended over such a distance. She messaged me a month ago and said, Hey, good news. I'm getting fiber to the property. Fiber out there? I was like, fiber to the property? <laughs> I can't even get that. <laughs> you said yes, right? You said yes. I, I, I said yes. And so she now has, I'm led to believe, a 500 symmetrical megabyte connection. So my primary old British server is now going to move from my father's to my mother-in-law's, who I will bribe with something. I haven't figured out what yet. A gadget, maybe? <laughs> yeah, she's already said yes. but yeah, Okay. The fibre comes in at the wrong end of the house from where we we had a 4G connection for her before an LTE modem on the roof because the DSL connection was so bad. Uh, And this is a lady that works fully remotely over the internet and has done for years now. Uh, So the internet's very important to her livelihood. This is going to be huge for her then. And so for me, I'm going to be drilling holes in walls and running ethernet through brick walls, not just uh, American cardboard walls, proper walls. 18th century cottage walls no less which are you know three three feet thick type deals honestly that sounds like a pain in the ass to work on i don't think i'd want that (laughs) yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be fun so i'll be doing a bit of work whilst i'm over there running ethernet for her and i think my reward will be to host the server at her house now since tailscale is now a thing i will be running all of my backups over tailscale to that particular server and dispensing with OpenSense on the remote site, I don't see the need anymore. Tailscale works on my NVIDIA Shield, so I can run iPlayer through Android TV. It also works on my phone, my iPad, my laptop, blah, 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 blah. So I can come out with a British residential IP address with 500 meg up, no problem. I just don't really need WireGuard anymore. It's uh, naked WireGuard anyway. I mean, I know Tailscale uses it under the hood. Yeah, when you
0: were talking about how you had a point-to-point VPN and you're SSHing
1: over that, and you know, I was like,
0: that—that's funny. That's how I did things for like 20 years, but now that sounds like a really
1: old way of doing things. It's <laughs> so nice, and I know Tailscale sponsored the show, so I don't mean to sound like a shill, but they're not currently a sponsor this week, so this is this is unpaid. This is all true. It's just you know it's your opinion. Ah, they. Well, there you go. That's how you know it's true. I mean, the reason that they sponsored the show in the past is simply because w- we found them and we thought. This is the way it should have always been. This is the way. And the other prong of my backup setup is I have a Synology box living at my mother's house. She only has, uh, I think it's fiber to the cabinet is what they call it in England. So they run fiber to a cabinet a few hundred feet away from the house, and then it's copper for the last few hundred feet. So she gets about 60 or 70 meg down and maybe 10 or 20 up, which is sufficient for a backup server. It's not sufficient for an awful lot of other things, but it'll do um and i run that using auto restic which is a wrapper around restic i think i've talked about this previously but that's the summary auto restic runs over tail scale and it just works i actually went to check up on it the other day and was pleasantly surprised that it's still working six months later that's what you want to see man that's what you want to see so that's going to be
0: quite a bit of work because you're going to have to shut that thing down, move it, set it back up. You're going to probably have some networking stuff to configure out over at mom's. And I mean, you might want to spin up a home assistant
1: instance for her. I don't know. I mean, I could see you doing that, too. I could see this kind of rabbit holing. <laughs> I might take one of these spare Raspberry Pis I've got in the drawer behind me as a backup for the mother-in-law's house so that I have another tail scale endpoint that isn't the server itself inside the land so that I can kind of island hop within the land, Look at you traveling with a raspberry pie, Mr. Baller <laughs> over there. <laughs> That's a good idea, though. I'll get to customs, and they would be like, anything to declare? And i am be like, yeah, a million dollars worth of raspberry pies in my bag. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: It's kind of funny, but it's getting to that.
0: But really, uh, I think what we should talk about is the fact that you're going to have a meetup while you're over there.
1: That is very exciting, and it's really coming together. Absolutely, yes. So in order to accommodate a certain Mr. Joe Ressington, there were certain requirements that had to be met, and one of them that was non-negotiable was being outdoors. I kind of feel the same way as well. So, I mean, I know I shovel that on Joe's shoulders, but also it's it's my requirement too. Everybody can just feel a little more comfortable this way. So we're going to meet underneath the London Eye. There's a big square green space between the Shell Centre, the London Eye, and the Hungerford Bridge. And uh, we're going to meet there on the 5th of August, around about 6 o'clock British summer time. I've got to be very specific about that. Yeah, you got to watch out because the meetup page is in JB's local time. So the meetup page can send you a ride. Yeah, so when it says 11 a.m., ignore that. It's 11 a.m. Chris's time. We will be there at 6 o'clock in the evening, British summertime, and uh, we'll be there until late. I mean, officially it says 9 o'clock, I think, you know, three hours or so. I do have a flight back here the next morning at about eight or nine in the morning so i probably won't be out getting completely uh completely plastered but i will be there and i have stickers if that's the final thing that gets you to come to a, come to the meetup we have limited edition self-hosted diamond cut stickers that's so cool alex you're gonna get over 100 people i hope so
0: i can tell you right now if you've got ninety nine people on the meetup and you can tell the way this meetup page has been trending, I've done this enough times to tell you you're gonna get over a hundred people. Well, they have to beat the Raleigh lot. How
1: many did we get there? I think it was about a hundred. Oh, it was a little bit more. It might have been closer to two hundred in Raleigh. I mean it's like <laughs> the Raleigh meetup is a good crew. Oh, I like the way you I like the way you work, sir.
0: I, I think it was a little bit more, so they're gonna to have to pull, they're gonna to have to try harder. I mean, they don't want the Americans to beat them, right? <laughs> Meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting for the meetup details. I, of course, am looking forward to hearing how it goes. We have created a JB meetup matrix space as well. Of course, this meetup is also being organized in the self-hosted Discord. But in general, we have created a JB meetups matrix space on our self-hosted matrix instance. There is a London Colony meetup in there. And there's now a brand new chat room for a West Coast road trip that we're going on in September. Jupiter Broadcasting has been invited to get a personal tour of the Jet Propulsion Lab in Pasadena by a friend of the show, Tim Kenham, who is the operational lead for the Mars helicopter that runs Linux. So it's an amazing opportunity, and Linode is helping us get down there. They're going to help just like they did last year. So we're going to do a whole series of meetups. So that meetup page is going to be more useful than ever as the summer comes up. Uh, And, of course, in that matrix space, which we'll have linked in the show notes, if you want... To find out where we're going to be at, or if you are a local in the area and you want to give us a shout out so we know there's someone in that area to meet up with, or maybe you know a great place we could stop in the Washington, Oregon, California region, join that matrix space linked in the notes and say hi. It's going to be going to be a massive road trip. I mean, we got a lot. August, we got the London meetup. And then in September, we're going to have Oregon, California, JPL. It's, It's going to be great, Alex jpl's down in la right yeah yep just uh pasadena area so the outskirts wonderful yeah i'll have to figure out how i'm gonna do that in the rv but we'll
1: get it dialed in i i hear that the uh the best way to do it is grand theft auto style you just drive through the desert (laughs) real fast and then you steal a jet plane and then you fly right in
0: (laughs) i think that'll work alex i think that's gonna work Visit humio.com slash HCE to ingest and view all of your logs in one place. Humio is a centralized log management and observability platform. The company was founded by developers in Denmark in 2016 as an alternative to legacy logging solutions that make it cost prohibitive to ingest and search data volumes seen in today's IT infrastructures. I have been there. These used to be problems that we spent a lot of effort and money trying to solve. But the real beauty of Humio is that it can take logs from any source and make them usable. You don't need to constantly massage the format. It doesn't need a schema. You just pump them all in there, and then you have them when you need them. And of course, the dashboard is great. The platform is really pretty crazy. Humio's index-free architecture means you can ingest over a petabyte of data per day and search that data with sub-second latency. And Humio is up to 80% cheaper than the competing platforms like Splunk or Elastic, thanks to its reduced hardware and computational footprint. But you know, the best way to get going with Humio is the Community Edition. Mm-hmm. Humio Community Edition is the largest, no-cost data ingestion offering on the market today, allowing you to ingest up to 16 gigabytes per day with seven-day retention. It's not a trial period. You've got it for the long haul. This is perfect for self-hosters who just want to ingest their home logs and get a single view of everything happening in your environment. Rather than having to go to all the separate places to look from your logs, from every system, every app, every component in your home, Humio gives you the ability to bring it all together and correlate it in one place for easier troubleshooting. I mean, just to give you an example, you can monitor your power consumption, your download speeds, water consumption, your router information. I mean, just basically anything that you can get stats in Home Assistant, well, you could visualize it in Humio can also help monitor power consumption. But, you know, power consumption, that's huge. In Australia, Humio Community Edition gives one listener full visibility of his solar and power grid. Home Assistant and Node-RED, all that data into Humio. He really likes to impress his neighbors with that. His voltage recently dropped from 240 volts to 160 volts. So, like, you know, things like the display on your microwave work, but the actual microwave function, that doesn't work. He was able to dig through the logs in Humio, see it on the dashboard, and take action to protect his home computing infrastructure. When it's your hobby, you want it easy, you want it quick, and you want it usable, and you don't want it to have to be a job. So get started with Humio Community Edition for free at slash HCE. That's H U M I slash H C
1: E. What an opportunity! JPL is going to be so so cool. I really hope you can find a way to meet up with Chris on the way down if you're on the west coast. I'm going to start looking at flights. I think that could be, I think it could be worth the flight. Hey, oh yeah, that's a special opportunity. Totally.
0: All right, you and I can talk more. I just didn't want to bring it up when you're in the middle of traveling, but we could talk more when you get
1: back. <laughs> uh, do I bring the family though? Ooh, that's a, that's a tricky one. You know, it's a work trip, quote unquote. So it's, it's a JB work thing. I mean, I don't know. It's up to you, though. I tell you, the mother-in-law who we just referenced is a physicist by trade. So I think she'd be down. I think she's in Raleigh for September. So I think we might have to uh, grease those wheels with the mother-in-law as well.
0: <laughs>
1: it's already happening. <laughs> oh man! So uh, Lawrence writes in, "Hey Chris and Alex, I love the show, and I'm really looking forward to the UK meetup next month." This is a broader self-hosting question but with your combined experience I'm hoping you may be able to point me in the right direction. I'm a solicitor or attorney for those in the US looking to change careers to the cloud and I'm unsure where to begin. Hey we should have Fuzzy Missborn answer this question eh? Given that he was on just recently and he's in that trade. Uh, so as is the way, a pie was my gateway drug and it sent me down the rabbit hole on what has become quite the adventure learning Linux. I've had offers from a few very expensive training providers purveying various grades of snake oil and supposedly guaranteed jobs. But in keeping with the self-hosting spirit, I'd like to try and do it myself. I'm currently following a couple of Udemy courses and self-studying to get the AWS Cloud Practitioner Certification, along with a couple of others, uh, and I imagine landing any entry-level role would be quite difficult without any prior experience. Any sage advice would be greatly appreciated. Keep up the good work, guys, and get well soon, Chris. Thanks, Lawrence. Well, thank
0: you, Lawrence. I am feeling much, much better now. I'd say I'm like 95% better. This is a great question, and it's something that you are not alone in struggling with, because you get to this point where you've got a lot of hands-on lab time where you've built things and tried things, or maybe you've deployed something in the cloud, but you don't necessarily have work experience and you want to take it to that next step. That can be situational, but I will say one area that I looked at when I was hiring is I would ask people if they have participated in any projects on GitHub because it's just all your commits, all your work, everything's documented right there, and it can be an example of a work ethic. It can be an example of you participating in a community, even if it's not necessarily specific to the job you're applying for.
1: I mean, my own personal story, uh, I was working in retail f- at the Apple store for a while, and I just ended up getting interested in Linux in my spare time. And then I was lucky enough to be able to go and do a computer science master's degree for a year. And that was kind of a deep dive into programming and you know databases and all sorts of other Really difficult stuff that was honestly way beyond me. And it's way beyond what I do in my day job now. My advice would be, such as it is anyway, find an area that you find interesting enough to self study on, whether that's infrastructure, whether that's development, whether that's testing, whatever it might be, and just do it. You know, find a project that, you know, solve a real problem and find a project around your house that needs automating, if it's infrastructure, for example or you know if it's development find a problem that nobody else has solved or find a problem that's been solved you think you could solve better and and just just nibble away at it yourself and i'm not a huge believer in certifications per se i i get free certifications through red hat which is a a lucky perk of the job but i've i've only done a handful and it's because i just don't necessarily think that simply by having those letters next to my name it means that i actually know an awful lot more than the the next person (laughs) Uh, yeah it means that i learned the answers to that specific test on that day in history five years ago maybe i don't know it's 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 useful in some ways because it gets your foot in the door with employers to say yes i've done xyz but in other ways i'm much more interested in hiring somebody who is able to speak passionately about a specific area and can demonstrate some open source work.
0: So you almost just I think you almost just hit it there too. Like I wonder if it isn't a passion thing like he isn't he isn't tearing into a problem and becoming the most knowledgeable person about that problem in the world, thus discovering a community, their problems and providing a solution and then getting employment through those networking connections. Instead it almost feels like Lawrence your the biggest problem you're trying to solve is employment and I get that getting a job is not an ends of means itself. It it's like just part of it. Like it, the job should be reflective of what you're really passionate about. Um, And it's a tricky thing because I think I realize you got to get a job. You got to get money. You got to get paid, but it feels like you kind of put the cart before the horse. Like you're kind of trying different stuff. You're excited about a lot of it. You know, you want to work in this area. I see this all the time, but you don't have a specialty. You don't have a focus. You don't necessarily have a passion. And if you do, Well, then that's your obvious answer, and that's what you should probably be going after.
1: I'd recommend that you give Coda Radio a listen as well. Mike and Chris talk about this kind of stuff all the time. I mean, it's a bit more small business-focused, but sometimes they talk about, you know, how to get into the industry and that kind of thing. Yeah, well, thank you. That's probably a good tip. All right, so Brad writes in, who wants to know about our thoughts
0: on TAP business cards. So, you know, some are tied to websites, some are tied to apps. I was curious if this is something you guys have used or consider. I want to be more environmentally conscious and most business cards, they just get thrown away. I wonder, though, how much telemetry is gathered by these card companies and what they'll do with it. Regards, Brad, have you seen these digital credit cards? There's app versions, there's physical versions. Some of them
1: are NFC-based, some of them are s- something else. Seems open to abuse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but saying that, I've had a contactless debit card in my pocket for five or six years, and it's, it's only been cloned once. Theoretically, I like this idea, right? I
0: prefer not having another piece of paper. And if I, get a, if I get a business card that I actually care about, I almost inevitably end up like scanning it with my phone or you know, some contact application. But I did do some digging around. There, is, there are projects out there. In fact, one that's been going around this week that lets you build your own business card out of your own parts, and then you run Linux on the thing. And um, I guess you could be a little more secure in in that I honestly I don't think this is ever going to take off I really don't and the reason why and I'm just maybe it's old man Chris here but back in my day our palm pilots had little infrared blasters built into them so you could exchange contact information did you just play the palm pilot card (laughs) we have been trying to solve this problem literally since the late 90s since fax machines were popular to have in the home, we have been trying to solve this problem and we have tried different technologies and nothing has stuck. Even, even as Palm Pilot friends, you know, we were kind of like, all right, let's, let's try this. And you'd line it
1: up and it just never really took off. You know what's going to happen in the real world is you're going to make a connection with someone and then you're going to unlock your phone, pass it to them, and they're going to type in their number or send you a text or a telegram or a, hey, what's your discord or your Twitter or whatever. That's the reality.
0: It feels like that's going to be the reality as long as we have multiple vendors making multiple operating systems that want to implement their own standards and don't necessarily have uh, incentive to interoperate with maybe each other, right? As long as, that's, as long as we've got a Coke and Pepsi of phone manufacturers and Coke and Pepsi don't want to share their secret recipe, I don't think we're very likely to have universal electronic cards that actually be adopted. It needs to be as easy as like, you know, you bump watches,
1: you tap phones, and it's completely seamless. And unless it's that, it's never going to take off. I thought I saw the answer at a conference a few years ago, which was scanning a QR code on a conference's badge. But all that turned into was another way to track me, and that's the last thing I want. Real-time Brent update for the show, he's missed his flight, unfortunately, by about 10 minutes. So let's hope that Air Canada take take good care of him tonight. Uh, Anyway, Matt writes in, Hey, self-hosted crew, I wanted to start out by saying thank you to the entire JB team for consistently putting out top-tier Linux content. (laughs) stop i've been listening for a few years now and y'all how how did i do with that not not bad have really helped me in my journey to becoming a linux sys admin i've been building up my home lab and since i got the promotion a few months ago i was curious if you have talked about smoke detectors water and flood detectors or that kind of thing on the show previously Uh, i've been able to replace all the pipes in my house and i haven't had any leaks but I'm concerned that something might happen in the future. Thanks again for all that you do. He loved the word y'all. There's three y'alls in there, and he's trying to make the British man say (laughs) y'all. You're doing great, Alex. You're doing great. I do like the word. What have you done for smoke detectors and the lot? Uh, Do you have those integrated? Have you kept them separate? They're bog-standard $5 smoke detectors from Amazon, and I've got one above my 3D printer. I have a Z-Wave smoke detector. Like I said, I got a lot of
0: Z-Wave devices. This I purchased November 20th, 2020, so I've had it for a couple of years now, and I've never had a fire, so I don't really have a lot to say, but I bought it on a recommendation from the Home Assistant community. It's the First Alert Z-Wave Smoke Detector Carbon Monoxide Alarm. You just join it to your Z-Wave network like you would all your other devices, and it shows up in Home Assistant with the alarm component, and I like it a lot. It's really easy to replace the battery too it's just got a little side tray that pops out so when you do have to replace the battery you can and because it's z-wave you could it's not a big battery hog it's just two AA batteries so i'll put a link to this in the show notes for uh at least smoke detector now what about leak detectors
1: previous friends of the show shelly actually make some flood detectors which uh i'm reliably informed by one of my neighbors who has a rental property out at the coast work extremely well and I'm fairly sure that Acara, Aqara, AQ, make a leak detector as well.
0: And then, of course, sticking with the Z-Wave theme over here, the Aotech water leak sensor. These Aotechs, they, they work great with Home Assistant. They uh, also make some great sensors. They're just a little expensive, although their leak detector is only 36 bucks. And $36 is money well spent to prevent a leak. And then, of course, another actual Z-Wave device, although I, I don't use it, but we've had people write in is the ring leak detectors, which I'm told are pretty decent and actually talk Z-Wave. Never use them myself, but if you already have a ring camera or you want to experiment with it, you could try the ring leak detectors as well. Can't vouch for it personally, but we've gotten pretty good email on it. All right, we got some boost with some new podcast apps. Cospelin was in first this week with 3,690 sats. And he was writing in about his Pi OS setup from our chat in Pi for every problem he says that i use tumbleweed on my quote desktop pies and then i use raspbian on the headless cody pies and he uses nfs to avoid using the sd card altogether
1: he says thanks for the show that's all well and good but what happens when the nfs server's down well then, you're probably not watching your movies anyways, <laughs> or the network switches down, or yeah,
0: yeah. No, I I agree. You know, but I stream all of my television over the network now, and it's been okay. But yeah, yeah. NFS to run the system that that could lead to a bad day. Sir lurks a lot, boosted in with one thousand three hundred thirty-seven sats. Because I'm also a big believer and a fan of, the, of your support of the Matrix ecosystem. I do run my own home server. I've done it for a couple of years now, and I've given you lots of feedback and moral support for running Matrix. But I wanted to chime in and say that I fully support your use of Discord as well. It's not a zero-sum game. Self-hosting is a journey, and shows like this are to help light the way. But if neophytes are on Discord, you got to meet them there to bring them into the tent. Hallelujah. Well put lurks a lot. He goes on to say with a double boost coming in with another elite set of sats. He says also once they're on the path, you know, the show could help dodge them to matrix one day. I'm glad you have a couple of matrix room for the self-hosted show. Maybe encourage people to engage and pay attention over there. Hey, I'm paying attention over there. He says too bad. There isn't a bridge good enough to bring them together. It's a shame, but that is the way. Thanks
1: Lurkslot. Yeah. Thank you. And I think it's, uh, it's important. You know, that we talk about this stuff because there's always a there's always a prevailing wind in, in tech that for one company to win or one standard to win, all the others have to lose. And I think it goes back to a Steve Jobs quote originally, I think, that I'm referencing here, that there's this idea that for Apple to win, Microsoft has to lose. And it's just not true. And I think the same is true of Discord and Matrix.
0: Yes. And I think this type of debate, should I host it myself? Should I just use the dang service? Uh, What are the pros and
1: cons? I think that's something the audience probably struggles with quite a bit. I'd say it's probably the biggest part of self-hosting is deciding, is it worth my time or not? Fun
0: Deck Hermit boosted him with 2,000 sats. He says there is a podcast called The Amp Hour that's located in Raleigh with a host named Chris. And he says maybe there'd be some event organization that could happen sometime. And who knows, man, there is a good community in Raleigh. That could be a thing that happens. I like the name too, Raleigh IoT, Riot. That's a fun one. He came in with with another double boost, uh, Fun Deck Hermit did, another elite set of sats. He says not only does the authentic proxy application adhere to the specific protocol, it can also form a protective layer around dumb applications like Cloud or Jacket. Hmm. It has an internal in pro- built-in proxy, but that is optional.
1: We had that feedback from a few folks, actually, that uh, not only can Authentic be the authentication provider, but it can also do the same job as orthalia is only able to do as well. So you end up with the best of both worlds. So uh, I suspect that's just bumped up my list of should try soon. Agreed.
0: SUCD boosted in with a uh, baby row of ducks, 222 SATs. Because I use the software called FlightAware on the Raspberry Pi, Uh, and you can order it as a complete kit ready to go. So it's $120, basically, but it comes with the transponder. It comes with the Pi Zero, the power supply, the indoor antenna with a magnetic base, all the cables you need, the
1: SD card, everything to just have your own FlightAware set up. That could be a genuinely a cost effective way to get hold of a Raspberry Pi in twenty twenty
0: two. I was gonna say that.
1: But oom boom All right. Bronzewing boosted in
0: with elite set of sats, one thousand three hundred and thirty-seven. Feeling my pain, Alex says my home pods in Siri also seem to be way worse recently. I used to be able to say, hey, you know who? It's movie time or open the middle garage door. Now she usually takes at least a moment. It's very frustrating, gets slower. Please keep us up to date if a fix shows up. So, a little update on that, Alex. You know, one handy thing that I have is I kind of have an A-B environment. I noticed that the Siri tubes in the studio are all still working perfectly fine. They, They still control all the devices. They recognize everything I say. It's only the Siri tubes in the RV. And I kind of almost wonder if it's something to do with the Home Assistant HomeKit integration.
1: Like, something's gone awry in that setup. But I'm not sure yet. I had a theory that it was to do with the profiles that these assistants build up on you over time. So you know how they do the voice matching right at the beginning, uh, where your voice is just a generic voice amongst the herd. But over the years, right, they'll hear you speak more and they'll learn more and more and more. And that as those profiles are supposed to get better, they actually get to a point of diminishing returns and then they just fall off a cliff the other way. That's a theory because uh, what I was reading is that if you go into your Google account or whatever and delete the profiles they have on you, that people's experiences have improved dramatically. And I just thought perhaps we could crowdsource some folks willing to test that out for us. You know, this is a great example
0: of the knobs that we don't get access to anymore with all of these new services and devices. They're just completely hidden from us. And it's just... They, they seem to get worse and worse and worse, and there's nothing we can do. Uh, and Bronzewing says so, you know, he goes on to say, I'm looking at Mycroft. It seems like maybe the right way to go, but $300 is a steep hardware entry. I reserved one, but I just couldn't pull the trigger when it actually came time to buy it. So I got two HomePod minis instead. But the voice recognition space just seems really rough right now, I feel like. I completely agree with Bronzewing, and, and there is clearly a solution here that needs to be Home Assistant-based, local-based but the the bar is high in terms of performance.
1: Let's just remember Christmas 1998 when Alex got his first family computer and we were all sat around this thing. I think we got it from PC World and it was a Time Computers PC and we had via voice on this thing. I don't know if you remember that program. Of course I do. You had to train this thing. You had to speak sentences into this thing to train the algorithm and it would input text to you on the, on the screen, then let's just pump the brakes and saying how bad they are before we actually realize how good they are, first of all, please.
0: Yeah, the fact that they can even pick us up now when we're holding these mobile devices in like any environment pretty much is incredible, because back then you needed a really close microphone, maybe even a headset microphone for good dictation,
1: and getting that microphone to work with that computer was not a given <laughs> Oh, old computers. (laughs) Oh, man. Optimus Gray boosted in just a day ago
0: with a full row of ducks, 2,222 sats. He says, I was just listening to the podcast and I was syncing everything up. But you know what? This episode 71 might just be one of my favorites. It's got cooking, Proxmox, Bitwarden with Ansible. What else could you want? Also, I agree. Brent needs some gas money. And don't tell Alex that we'll all be touching his
1: chair when we have a house party over there. I still have the sign up here. No touchy the chair. Uh, you see this on the stream? But That just makes people want to touch it.
0: It <laughs> just makes them want
1: to touch it. It's still up there. It's like uh, It's like a sign that says, don't kick me. Then people want to kick you. True, it's true. Yeah. Uh, I do have a punchable face, I've been told.
0: I like the idea, too, that Brent's going to have a party while you're gone. Like, you know, a teenager having a party while their parents
1: are out. (laughs) Do it? I mean, there is a million cameras around here. He won't get away with it. (laughs) No. No, but there's not much you'll be able to do. I mean, you know, it's probably going to be Archie's fault.
0: Archie's going to be a bad influence, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. That dog does like to drink. (laughs) we got a double boost. Some double boost this week. That's great, guys. 500 stats from Optimus Grey again. Uh, He says, I live in a three-story townhouse, about 650 to 700 square feet per level, one Unify AP on top, and the lower floor. But I get poor speeds on that second middle floor. Do I really need a third Unify AP? I tried the Unify tools, but all my neighbors with their ISP modems and routers set to blast just seem to be configured poorly.
1: Uh, just run Ethernet everywhere. Just plug your phone in via Ethernet. That will solve that problem. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, What about Wi-Fi 6? I don't know if you have modern enough devices to support Wi-Fi 6. That uses a bit of extra spectrum that some of the other neighbors might not have. Uh, obviously, every device doesn't support it. But generally speaking, the Unify tools do an okay job of uh, defining you know, the, the spectrum that's available. If you scan the channels, it will automatically move things around for you. I do have a firmware on my RoboVac, which might be of interest. I don't know if you have a RoboVac or anything like that, but I can actually send my ValiTudo-based RoboVac around the house and it will generate me a Wi-Fi heat map of the Wi-Fi access points. Wow. So you get an idea of where the signal's the strongest from the neighbors and stuff like that. That's pretty fun. Now, you don't necessarily need a, a fancy pants vacuum to do that. There are apps on your phone which will let you do the same thing. That might be a good place to start. I wonder too, Optimus, like a price aside, why
0: not get the third AP? It sounds like you've got a ton of channel crossover from your neighbors. Similar situation where I'm at here at the studio. It's I open up my Wi-Fi network screen and I would be, I mean, I've never really counted because I just have to scroll and scroll, but it's probably like 35, 40 APs I can pick up. It's disgusting. And I have to imagine there's just a ton of channel overlap. You could be faced the same thing, especially in a townhouse like I am could
1: totally see that. The other thing is, you could be just on the point between those two access points where the signal is about dropping off from both of them and your devices don't know which one to pick so they might be flip-flopping between the two all the time trying to do that handoff thing. And depending on how they're mounted, uh, the generally the Wi-Fi signal is a bubble, right? It's like a
0: it's like a mushroom top. It goes out up and Around. It doesn't necessarily go down below the AP. It doesn't like go behind the AP. So you may have a mushroom dome of Wi-Fi on the bottom floor, and then you have a mushroom dome of Wi-Fi on the top, and they're both just not intersecting the middle floor as much. Plus, you maybe got something in the walls too. That could also be an issue. I've seen places that have metal in the walls and that blocks the signal. We got a baller boost from Dean. Dean, I'm gonna say 70, 1070, maybe. Dean 1070 sent us a boost just a day ago. 10,000 sats. He's boosting the dip. He says, I just wanted to show my appreciation for the self-hosted show. I thoroughly enjoy the topics you discuss, especially NAS storage and home server options. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you, Dean, for boosting the dip. Sats are on sale right now. We got 100 sats from user 6594 that said thanks, and also 100 sats from Josh the Jest. He said it's a great time to boost the show. Sats are cheap. If you want to send us a boost, you can do so by getting a podcasting 2.0 app at newpodcastapps.com. Or just go grab Breeze if you don't want to switch your app. B-R-E-E-Z dot technology. Or if you want to nerd it up, which I don't think anybody did this week, you can use Boost CLI, which is a command line tool. Pretty cool. I guess you got to be
1: pretty elite for that. Now the chat room are asking for some real-time feedback on the Wi-Fi-based RoboVac heat map. I've just put a link to that in the chat. It's called Valoroni, I think. And uh, take a look in the show notes. It'll be in there as well.
0: That looks really cool, Alex. I figured it'd be a neat visualization, but I didn't realize it would be that neat. So yeah, <laughs> such a neat and wild use case for a
1: robot vacuum. Well, the thing is, I have a dedicated IoT network, which is 2.4 gig for all of my, you know, RoboVacs and Cam smart cameras and all the other Wi-Fi crap Shelleys are in, the, is in this house. And so I used that to figure out where to put, you know, different access points. And it turned out in my kitchen... There was a spot that was underneath the stairs and just behind the washing machines and the fridge that was, (laughs) of course, just which is where my dining room table is. You can picture it. That had no Wi-Fi signal, and obviously the dining room table is where I spend some hours a week, you know, with laptop whilst you know cooking's happening and what have you. So I just got one of those Unify in-wall APs and slapped it into an old phone socket and and pulled the wires through the wall into the crawl space. It was good to go. It was you know, probably only an hour or two's worth of work. Very nice. And that's a great idea for an IoT network. Talk about
0: getting a real on-the-ground view of your network. I want to say thank you to our members. Our SRE subscribers make the show possible. They let us be really picky about the sponsors we work with. They give us the runway to keep the show going if we have to say no to some sponsors. And as a thank you, we create an ad-free feed of the show and also we tack on a post-show. That is exclusive to them. If you'd like to sign up, support the show, become a member at selfhosted.show/sre. And then I imagine shortly after the new, although I probably shouldn't commit to anything, but after we get the new website out the door, like the next thing on my list is upgrading the member feeds so we have live versions so you can do your boosts for the member feeds and all that kind of stuff. So that'll be probably later in the year after we get the website out at the end of summer. But all that stuff is being worked on for our SRE members because you guys matter a heck of a lot to us.
1: I think it is really important just to hammer home how important independent media is these days. You see stuff in all sorts of spaces about how there are sponsored videos here and non-disclosed sponsorships and and all that kind of stuff. And having an audience-funded show really allows Chris and myself and the rest of the JB team to be authentic to you guys. Yes, we have a couple of commercial sponsors, but primarily the show is funded by you, the listeners. And I think keeping independent media independent is hugely valuable to our society.
0: couldn't have said it better myself. So show slash SRE, if you'd like to sign up, you can find our discord community over there as well at show slash discord. And don't forget, we have the Matrix space link to the show notes if you'd like to join our Matrix community as well.
1: Lots of stuff coming up in the next few weeks. Obviously, we've got the London meetup on August 5th. Meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting for all the details there. Chris has his JPL JB super road trip in September Woo! on the West Coast. Yeah. Uh, you can find different ways to get in touch with us at self hosted.show slash contact. I'm on Twitter at Ironic Badger. I'm over there too at Chris LAS. And of course, the network is
0: at Jupiter Signal.
1: Thanks for listening, everybody. That was self hosted.show slash 75.